I heard about this cowboy that was at a stock show in rodeo, and uh, he was at the auction part, and all of a sudden he got a phone call. And on the other line, he heard, uh, honey, um, I have, uh, I've been shopping, and I found this really expensive mink fur coat. It's $2,500. Can I have it? He said, well, sure. And she said, now, also, I, before that, I went to price a new Mercedes. It's top of the line, latest model, and it's $101,000. Can I have that? And he said, sure. And then she said, well, even before that, I went looking for another ranch, and it's $2.5 million. Can I um, put a contract down on it? He said, well, great. And then she hung up the phone, and he looked at the friend next to him and said, you know, I wonder whose cell phone this is. <laughs> do, do you ever think that maybe you've been overcommitted and too much is demanded of you? Um, I want to say that when it comes to those issues or any other, God has never been overcommitted. God has never faced anything, any need, any exigency, any circumstance for which He is not sufficient. And when you came to Jesus Christ as Savior, if you've come, now if you haven't, please come today at the end of the message. But if you have come to Jesus Christ as Savior, the Father united you with Jesus Christ the moment of your salvation, and you have every spiritual blessing and great and precious promises by which you can escape the corruption of the world through lust, and you have everything pertaining to life and godliness. You have been made one spirit with Jesus, so your life can be effective like His. Now, that's going to be important moving forward over the next number of weeks, from now until December. Uh, back uh, September the uh, 15th, we sent an email to all of our Sunday school workers about an effort that we're wanting to give to our community called Merry Christmas Athens. been talking to our deacons about it since our September deacons meeting, so uh, hopefully this is not the first time you've heard of it. Uh, they've all been talking about it, communicating with you uh, about that. But we're wanting to bestow upon the Athens region a thing that we're calling Merry Christmas Athens. Let me talk to you about that for just a um, just a moment. And then we're going to get into our text in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through uh, 17. In the Athens region, there are about 120,000 people. Of those, more than 100,000 are not in worship on Sunday morning. That's about 84%, and Oconee County is about the same as well. 84% of residents in Oconee County are not in worship today. I don't have figures for Oglethorpe or Madison or Jackson or Barra County, but quite frankly, I, I don't believe they're much better uh, either. Our community cannot afford for Christians and churches to live ineffectively. What is needed today is bold, effective mission action. And back August 16, 2015, Beach Haven committed herself to bold, effective mission action when we adopted a vision statement which reads that Beach Haven will magnify Jesus Christ as Lord by building all the peoples of the Athens region into great commissionaries. This defines our staffing, our budgeting, our calendaring. It defines our priorities and who we are. Therefore, this Christmas season, and I know we haven't arrived at Thanksgiving uh, and, and, and my apologies for that, but this is going to take a church-wide effort, so we've got to talk about it now. Um, 
Therefore, we're giving to our community a thing that we're calling Merry Christmas Athens. One component of it happens to be a sermon series. This current sermon series that we're calling The Effective You. And that is you um, uh, excelling in Christ's mission. November 10th through the 12th, we're having what we're calling an M now. You've heard of D now, Disciple now, where in a compact time, we try to mature students in the faith. Well, we want to do that church-wide, November 10th, 11th, and 12th, with M now, which we're calling Missions Now. Our students will meet late Friday night and Saturday, and then we'll do something church-wide that Sunday, November the 12th, as Dr. Keith Ida leads us and speaks to us. He was my PhD mentor, my first boss at Southwestern Seminary, and in my judgment, it's one of the most effective and strategic communicators and thinkers on missions in this day. And he's really been that way since 1985 when he started teaching missions. November the 19th, we'll be training our Sunday school workers in Merry Christmas, Athens. December the 3rd, we've got our Christmas music program, and we're moving the time from the standard 6 o'clock to 4 o'clock to better accommodate our senior adults. Our retired and senior adult ministry um, wants the opportunity to labor intensely to get others from nursing homes and retirement homes here to the property. And once the time changes, which it time, uh, changes this weekend, it's really difficult for many of them to get out after dark. So we'll start at 4 o'clock that Sunday, December the 3rd. And then come December the 10th, this is the big day. This is what we're building up towards. We'll do lunch after worship on December the 10th. We'll train folks after lunch on December the 10th. And then we're asking all of our Sunday school classes to be involved in some kind of simple mission project. It is to those that are outside the faith or outside of Beach Haven. It's off the church property, and it involves face-to-face -face contact with others and gives us the opportunity to distribute the gospel of Christ in some way, shape, or form. We'll gather back together 5 o'clock, December the 10th, at the Georgia Square Mall and invite everyone in the mall there to come and participate at 6 o'clock in our choir's presentation and their music program at 6 o'clock in the mall. In fact, the mall is so eager to have us there, they're shutting down Santa Claus and giving us that spot at 6 o'clock. Primary space, and we're very grateful for that. And then that Wednesday, December the 13th, our children will be doing their Christmas music program. I am of the mind that it's time for the entire community to experience the blessing of a Beach Haven Christmas. And so I want to shout to the world, Merry Christmas, Athens. That's where our heart is. That's what we're looking at. Now, why in the world would, you, would we want to do something like this? Well, there's several reasons. And again, this is moving off the church property and taking the wonderful gifts of our church membership, our Sunday school classes, and our music and worship ministry and distributing it throughout the community, especially in the attendance zone uh, near the Georgia Square Mall. Why would we want to do this? Well, one reason is technology has isolated us. And so as a result, and, and with that, media has divided us, especially the Christian church from the rest of the world. So in many ways, Christians are far more uncomfortable with the world today than what we were in previous generations. And the world misunderstands and is sometimes suspicious of Christians and churches. Research shows that in our own region, 65%, 65% of those not involved in a church are suspicious of churches and of ministers. And sometimes they're justified. Much of the time it's exaggerated, but sometimes it's justified. 
One final reason is we want people to have the good news. Good news is needed all of the time. And we've got the potential on that one day, December the 10th, of communicating the gospel of Christ throughout the community more so and to more people on that day than we ever would in a building with a standard program. And so that's what we're looking at, at getting the gospel out. In fact, I, would, I expect that when we do mission projects, we'll do them for free. We'll give our time. We'll give our labor. Usually people will ask, well, why are you doing this? And we simply respond, we're simply trying to show God's love in a practical way. And then you're off. You can launch from there and share the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, here's what the staff will do for you, and this is especially Tim and uh, Adam Wynn. We will prepare the projects. We will arrange some of the supplies. Most of those you'll have to arrange. And we will make assignments asking you uh, for your top three assignments. We'll make assignments from that. Now, here's what we need from you. The first thing, we need flexibility. I've told those who participated on our mission trips this. I've told them the Gumby Beatitude. If you know it, say it with me. Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be bent out of shape. That's the Gumby Beatitude. Oh, I love it. In fact, I've got Gumby standing in my office on my shelves just to remind me of that. We're going to make some mistakes. Everything's not going to go perfect, and you know why? Well, there's spiritual warfare on one hand, nervousness and insecurity on the other, and this is the first time we're doing this church-wide as a church family. So we're going to have to have some flexibility, and we're going to have to have a cheerful spirit. Everyone's going to have to wear smiles. Real big. Look at your neighbor and smile real big. All right, from here to December the 10th, pour it on. So then we're going to need your prayers. More than administration, as important as that is, more than planning, more than communication, as important as those things are, prayer is the urgent need. Then simplicity. We need you to keep this thing simple. Now, we've got some ideas for you. We'll suggest some. You can come up with your own, and if they meet the criteria, that's fine. But um, one idea that many people do is they simply take a bag of cookies uh, door-to-door in an apartment complex or neighborhood or to employees at a store. Let me ask you this question. How many of you have either baked, distributed, or eaten cookies? You're an expert at mission projects. All right. Um, how, many, uh, how, how many of you have ever cleaned a restroom or bathroom? Or wish you did. Okay. Well, I've done, that's, a, that's a popular mission project. You go into a business and ask if you can clean their restrooms for free. And in fact, a couple of weeks before we get started, my wife and I are going to go through the community and perform many of these mission projects, and we're going to prove they work. In fact, if I can get them filmed and show them in here, that will help us with our training. And so you're an expert already at these things. Keep it simple. And then we're going to need your involvement. We're asking Sunday school classes, now not our ministries, but our Sunday school classes to be involved in this. We're trying to redefine what it means to be part of a Sunday school class and that that is a ministering body. So it's not the children's ministry or the youth ministry or or other ministries. It is Sunday school classes performing these, uh, these items. We thank God for the other ministries that we have, but we're redefining what it means to be part of a Sunday school class. More than just the impartation of knowledge, but mission action. And then we need you to provide your own transportation. And then by Sunday, November the 19th, we need you to give us your top three choices of what you'd like to do. And this week, we will communicate opportunities and ideas and forms for you to communicate back with us. Now that leads us to our text in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 
Here, Paul uses three brilliant images that display Christ's promise to make his followers effective. Wonderful, wonderful images. And God can make you effective when you think in these images. In other words, Jesus promises to make you effective if you'll think in these three images. Beginning in verse number 14 of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Read there with me. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of His knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we're not, as so many, peddling the Word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God. We speak in the sight of God in Christ. God can make you effective when you think in terms of these images. And what are these images? Well, first, there's the image of a prisoner. And the point here is to surrender like a prisoner. What does this mean? Back in the days of Roman conquest in the first century, a general would lead an army uh, with his soldiers and conquer a foe. And they would, uh, if it met certain criteria, they would march back through the city of Rome in a grand processional and in a grand parade. And uh, there were oftentimes um, uh, officers that would lead the, the charge and then uh, the parade. And then there happened to be uh, foot soldiers that would come along and, and then prisoners uh, who were oftentimes chained actually to the Roman general's chariot. And that's the image that Paul picks up on here in chapter 2, verse 14. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. These prisoners would be chained to the chariot. They would be the spoils of the war that the general had fought and that he had led his soldiers into and into victory and into conquest. What Paul is saying here is that Jesus Christ is king. He's the general of this army. He conquered our sin. He conquered us and brought us into submission to Himself. And now we are chained to His chariot, and He's always leading us in this triumphal procession. Now, I want you to notice two things about this triumphal procession. Two words in the text in verse 14. One word is the word always. Always. Do you know God's never exaggerated? Always. He is always leading us in triumphal procession. Always. Look at your neighbor and say, always. He is always leading us in triumphal procession. That means when you and I, when you and I are attached to Him, everything qualifies according to verse 14. He is always at all times leading us in victory. And then look at the second word, not only always, but leads he is always leading us. We don't lead Him. We don't master Him. We don't dictate to Him. We don't fit Him into our lives. Oh, no. No, 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 no. We don't fit Him into our lives. He is our life. He fits us into His life is what He does. He is always leading us in triumphal procession in Christ. Here's what that means. That means when you and I are surrendered to Jesus, everything is an advantage for Him. Everything is an advantage for His cause when we are surrendered to Him. And you know what that means? That means the degree to which you have victory is precisely the degree to which you have surrender. 
Now, did you get that? In other words, when we allow Him to lead us through the challenges and the things that frighten us and the things that cause our knees to knock and our, our teeth to chatter, when we let Him lead us through the sorrow, when we let Him lead us through the sacrifice, it is to that degree that we're surrendered that we end up having victory in Him. In other words, the Bible teaches the doctrine of measure. Jesus said, by what measure you measure, it will be measured to you. So it teaches the doctrine of measure. The measure of your effectiveness matches the measure of your surrender. Effectiveness equals then surrender and surrender effectiveness. In other words, God looks at the degree to which you're surrendered. And he measures it and says, I'm going to lop off just that much effectiveness and give it to him. That's true with knowledge. That's true with insight as well. And so do you know why you're ever effective in the things of God? I mean, in your walk with God in the morning, in your daily walk, your victory over temptation. Your problem that when you constantly capitulate to temptation is that you're not surrendered in that area. You've not completely decided, I'm turning my back on it, and I'm yielding to Him. And when the temptation comes, I'm yielded to Him. In other words, if you decide, I'm going to surrender on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm going to surrender to the Lord at 5. That's more than most people, but I'm pretty impressed with it. So uh, I'm going to surrender on a scale of 1 to 10 halfway. God says, you get just that much effectiveness with me. Ladies and gentlemen, the most important skill and quality of every child of God happens to be surrender. More than anything else, God uses the surrendered person. So do you want, do you want to be effective in Merry Christmas Athens? Then surrender. Your most important task between now and then is to surrender. And at the end of the message, you'll have the opportunity to do that, to surrender to Him to surrender to His view of all humanity. We've all sinned, and it comes from our heart because our hearts are wicked. And then to surrender to His view of the remedy, and that's the death and resurrection of Christ. And then to surrender to His view of the response, and that is to place faith alone in Jesus Christ. You can be effective when you surrender. And the degree of your effectiveness depends on the degree of your surrender to Him. But there's a second image, not only the prisoner, but also in aroma. An aroma. Um, during the processional, there would be some who would carry incense and burn it. And the incense and the smell would waft through the air. And they would smell the sweet smell of victory during this processional. Sometimes they would go to the temple and sacrifice to their pagan gods, um, which oftentimes involved meat. Now, that reminds me, I like driving into my neighborhood, and one of my neighbors especially loves to grill meat, and lots of it. And it's fun living in my neighborhood, because it wafts over to my house, especially if he's cooking some kind of red meat. That's really good, and I, I like that. Uh, but then I remember another smell I'm not too fond of, and that is kimchi. Oh, my goodness. Uh, now, I like to eat it, but I don't like to smell it when it's being manufactured and when it's produced. Well, Paul picks up on this same idea in uh, verses number 14, 15, and 16. He says that uh, the presence of Christians happens to be in a, frag a fragrance and an aroma. Now, this is really important in this first century because people did not bathe as often 
as first century, uh, 21st century Americans. Okay? To put it delicately, a lot of them stunk. And so they had to have fragrances and perfumes and aromas to cover up the smell. Okay? And, and that's, that's what we've got going on here. And so through, uh, uh, through um, the burning of the incense, that would improve the atmosphere and the environment. And Christians act as a fragrance from God, an aroma for, from God in the world to improve the smell. Because frankly, sometimes the world can stink. I mean, how they treat spending can stink. How, how we treat marriage can stink. How we treat God and holiness and purity. How we treat churches. A lot of it can just plain stink. It, it can smell out there. Now, we don't get angry about that. We get active and busy with something like Merry Christmas Athens. Look at verses 14, 15, and 16. He says, Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of His knowledge in every place. So we show up and we diffuse His knowledge like a fragrance. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved. So we show up in a place and we discover there's another Christian there. They love the Lord Jesus. They trust Him. And it's a very pleasant thing, like a pleasant smell. But then Paul goes on in verse number 15. And among those who are perishing. Well, to one where the aroma of death leading to death. So there are occasions when we show up and people don't know the Lord and they might not appreciate the fragrance we bring to the setting there. To others, we're a fragrance of life to life. And it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the condition of the heart of people that are around us. Now, I do have to warn you uh, not not to look at the world in terms of 50-50. Most of the time when you show up, people will appreciate that. And and I can count on one hand the number of negative experiences I've had in getting out the gospel of Jesus Christ. But once in a while, you'll do it. And if it happens to you one time, if someone responds to you negatively one time, you'll swim in that for decades. You just don't forget it. And and you make the mistake of letting that define your interaction with the world. And that's precisely what the enemy would like for you to do. So through us, he gets the message out. Uh, We are really the aroma of Christ and, and the result is, there are some that benefit from that. Their Christian life is improved. There are others that end up declining. So the atmosphere changes when you show up. Some rejoice, some recoil. Some appreciate it, some are aggravated by it. And this is what you've got to know. God doesn't use people who cave whenever there's a challenge to the name of His Son. If you want to be used by God, you've just got to show up and distribute the fragrance. And to a degree, really not care what other people think. Now, that doesn't mean to put a chip on your shoulder. That doesn't mean you have the personality of an atomic bomb. I'm not saying that. But it does mean that you are firm in your core, but soft around the edges. And you come to the extent where you really don't care if people like you or not. You only care if Jesus approves of you. And that's where you seek your approval. God does not use those who crave and cave to human approval, but those who obey Him no matter what others think. Uh, Lecrae said this, to live by peop- We live by people's approval. We die by their rejection. And I will say to you, one of the quickest ways to kill your walk with God, your service in the world, is to care too much about what other people think. Well, what in the world do I do? 
Well, Paul does this. Paul speaks of this in uh, a few verses back in 1 Corinthians 4.3. He says, to me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you. Because he was more concerned with what God thought of him. So what others thought was a very small thing. That's where you've got to come in your heart and life. It's a small thing. There may be a kernel of truth in some criticism. Seek it. Milk even unfair criticism as much as you possibly can for a kernel of truth to improve. But otherwise, keep it to being a small thing. Well, how do I do that? Well, note the qualifications of the person launching the criticism. I mean, someone that is just constantly critical of the Word, of Christ, of the Bible, of churches, well, there's not much you can do to please them. Not much at all. Note their qualifications. Let me give you an example. I remember when Luke was um, real small, he was getting ready for uh, preschool uh, or kindergarten, and he had to have some shots. And he had had some shots before, and I had been in attendance for those. And um, uh, I took him this particular day for these shots. Now, previous shots were shots like the flu shot. And, you know, they've got one of those little bitty needles that are about as long as your fingernail, and uh, they put it in, it's over and done with. Sometimes you may not even feel like you feel it. Well, I assumed that would be the size of the needle when we took him in for these school shots. And I forget exactly what they were, but when I showed up, they had needles this big. <laughs> they were six foot tall. And, and I should have known something was up when two nurses, two Nazi nurses, walked in to the examining room and laid him down and held him down. Well, of course, you know, it's a real trial for me. I don't know if he remembers it or not, but that's not what I was expecting. Hey, if I see blood or a family member of mine is uh, struggling uh, with some pain in an examining room or something, I pass out. I mean, I'm done. I'm gone. I can't handle it. So, you know, he'll get over it. You know, he's just getting a shot. I'm having to watch it. So they haul off, and they're holding this boy down, and they raise up, and they do this. Ha! And they stab him. And it goes to the concrete and the foundation of the building. It's so large and big. Well, he didn't like it, of course. And um, as, you know, no kid uh, particularly would. But we, of course, did this because, quite frankly, medical professionals and medical staff are far more qualified to evaluate the need for shots and immunizations and vaccinations of kids than kids are and scared daddies. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ is more worthy to evaluate the place of His Word and Gospel in this world than anyone that has been created by Him. He is the one more qualified than all others. And He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So your effectiveness will depend upon your ability to discern this. Is this a big thing or is this a small thing? Know the difference between a small thing and a big thing and care far more about God's evaluation than others. And if you'll do that, God will use you with Merry Christmas Athens. But there's a third image, and that is the image. It may make some uncomfortable, but uh, it's, it's here in the text. And that is of a salesperson. While there was a processional going on and the incense was being burned and the general was marching along or uh, riding along in his chariot with uh, prisoners chained to the chariot, there would be some on the streets that would hawk their wares. 
they would sell their products. And some of them were entirely honest. They had good products. Others of them did not. Sometimes they would have pottery that had been broken. They had covered it with uh, wax and they had painted over it and glossed over it. Uh, and so it was a fault and pass it off as a um, quality product. Uh, there were others that did that with a variety of other things. Sometimes sales, uh, uh, th- those who sold produce would have some good produce and then some old produce and they would take the old produce and put it in the bottom of the basket and take the very best looking produce and put it on top. They especially did this with berries. And so Paul picks up on this and look at what he says in verse number, uh, verse number 17. For we are not as so many peddling the word of God. In other words, we are not changing the word of God just to suit a crowd. That's not what we do. We're not reducing it. We're not obscuring it. We're not hiding it. We're not taking the sharp edges of the gospel off so that it doesn't bother others. Now, again, you don't have have to have the personality of a Poulin chainsaw, but there is to be a firmness about the word of God. Um, And so Paul says, I'm going to be a salesperson for the gospel, and I am going to make it clear. Now, If you are entering a circumstance where you know some will appreciate you, but there's a little risk that someone may not, your temptation will be to pull back and hold back on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's peddling the Word of God. God never, ever permits that from His uh, people. I I see several places where that's happening in this day. There are some who preach prosperity without a cross and sacrifice and mission. Uh, There are some who preach about this life and never turn hearers' eyes upon eternity. So there's no cross, there's no eternity. Some will preach religion and formalism and external conformity to traditions without ever calling on people to place faith in Jesus Christ. There are some that deal in generalities and not specifics. There are some that try to convince their crowd that they they are victims and not the victimizers, not the guilty before God. That happens all over the place. But Paul says something different Here in verse number 17, we are not as so many peddling the word of God. And then he gets into some salesman language. He talks about advertising. But as of sincerity, he was an honest advertiser of the product of the gospel. The word sincerity comes from two words, meaning sunlight, judge. I've seen this happen before, and you probably have too. When there's a scare in the community that counterfeit bills are circulating through the stores, sometimes what will happen is that a cashier will hold a dollar bill up against the light and look through it, won't he? At least in the old days they did. Well, this is what we're talking about. He would take a product and measure it against the sunlight to see if it was genuine and real. And Paul said, when I advertise the gospel, it's the real thing. I'm going to be entirely sincere. So there is advertising here. Uh, Then... There happens to be qualifications of the salesman. He says, I am of God. God has sent me. So with his advertising, Paul spoke candidly. With his qualifications, Paul spoke confidently because the highest authority of all had sent him. And then he speaks about an audit. His work would be audited. Look at verse number 17. As of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. In other words, anytime I speak the gospel, I am in the sight of God. God is auditing me. God is watching my work and one day will. Turn maybe just a page over to chapter 5 and verse number 
10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And so one day, even in this day, I'm being audited, evaluated by God for my service, and I will be evaluated one day. So I'm going to be entirely sincere. I'm going to be accurate. So when is that, with his advertising, Paul spoke candidly. Uh, with his qualifications, Paul spoke confidently. With his audits, Paul spoke carefully. He knew that he would be audited. So he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He became what I was so I could stand in the position in which he is in, even in this day. He took my guilt, I take his righteousness. He took my sorrow, I take his glory. And so Jesus invites us to exchange positions with him, and Paul preached it, he threw down, and quite frankly, the only one he cared about uh, thoughts as far as his ministry happened to be the one who judged him, and that was God Almighty. Everyone else was small in his sight. Your effectiveness with the message in Merry Christmas Athens and every day will be the same size as your faithfulness to the message. Your effectiveness with the message depends on your faithfulness to the message. God uses those who are faithful with the message. Well, what is the message? Well, it's very simple. One, there is ruin. Jesus said in Matthew 15, it comes from our hearts. The reason we struggle so much with sin and shame and guilt is that our hearts are depraved before God, and there's nothing we can do about it. We're helpless and hopeless before Him. So we're ruined before God, and we stand before Him in judgment and guilt before Him. But thank God He loves us, and He's given us a remedy in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ became every sinner when He died upon the cross, that we might become everything the Father has made Him exalted and glorified. So the cross and the resurrection are enough, and that cross and resurrection still possess as much power today as they did in the first century when Jesus died. Nothing about Jesus has changed. He can cleanse and He can forgive. So there's ruin, there's remedy, and then there's response. He came preaching, repent and believe the gospel. In other words, thoroughly reject, thoroughly reject any notion of a life or eternity outside of Jesus Christ. Thoroughly reject all of that, and trust the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone, and God will save. The Moravians, some 16th century small group in Europe that uh, was really rather vigorous when it came to missions, said that they did missions in order to win for the Lamb the reward of His sufferings. To win for the Lamb, Jesus Christ, the reward of His sufferings. Would you agree with me that because Jesus died, He deserves a whole lot? Jesus died, and He should be rewarded for it. And when we go into the world as we will with Merry Christmas Athens, what we're attempting to do is win for Jesus more reward for His suffering. Jesus deserves every soul. Jesus deserves every love. Jesus deserves everything that can be given to Him, and that is to inflame us to enter into our world and invite men, women, boys, and girls to turn to the Lamb, to win for the Lamb the reward 
of his sufferings. It is time for Jesus to receive the rewards according to his suffering. And you know what he wants? He wants our guilt. He wants our eternity. He wants our trust and faith. And there's none of that that he can't handle and none of that of which he's not worthy. Every bit of it. And this is what he taught and this is what he said and this is why he came. I remember the first time I uttered three really important words to my bride. And any time I utter them, it's quite an event. I remember that she and I thought differently about an issue, and we were driving in the car one day, and I thought about it for a moment, and I said to her these three important words, You are right. Now imagine that. Now no one's rewarded me for that, but I I said, um, You're right. And here's what she did. She said, Oh, come on, say it again. Say it again. I said, You're right. One more time. You're right. We've been doing that for 27 years. Today, the best thing you can do with Jesus is look at him and say, Lord, you're right. I'm guilty and helpless before you. But I believe you took care of my sin and guilt problem when you died and rose again. And so now I'm going to quit trying to pretend that my works and virtue and religion are enough to please you. And I'm just going to trust you and turn my heart and life over to you. And I'm going to do it now. You've got the opportunity to do that. Let's pray together.